welcome to Screenmates. I'm Elizabeth, and this is a podcast where we talk about everything in movies and television. And this is the first episode of Screenmates 2.0. I'm super excited about this. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. And I'm so lucky to have, as my first guest for Screenmates 2.0, my good friend Allison. Hey, everyone. Hey. Um, Allison was on our special Disney episode, which was so much fun a couple months ago. So I asked her to come back for our very first episode of Screenmates 2.0 with pilots. Um, And do you want to announce what our pilot is for today? Sure. So today we are going to talk about the CW show Jane the Virgin and its pilot. So exciting. Um, So before we talk about our pilot... We're going to do our typical highs and lows and run down some entertainment news of the week. Um, So, Allison, what was your high for this week? Um, My high for this week is that, so I just got back from a trip abroad, and I binged the bold type on Freeform, and I feel like a lot of people have been sleeping on the show. They kind of, like, brought it in as Pretty Little Liars was ending, but I think it's one of Freeform's best work. It's witty. It's funny. um, It follows three writers that kind of work for a Cosmo-esque magazine and it's just been amazing and I was worried that momentum might falter but it's just been keeping on pace and has been great week after week so I'm very excited about it. That's awesome and I know that I've been um you've been telling me about this a lot and I have been seeing a lot of tweets about it and I know that I really want to watch this show so good recommendation. Yes check it out for sure. Yeah, um, so my high for this week is actually the movie Girls Trip. Um, I saw it yesterday. If you were listening to the podcast last week, Claudia had recommended it. Um, I thought it was amazing. It is the movie starring um, Queen Latifah, Jada Pickett-Smith, Regina Hall, and newcomer Tiffany Haddish, who steals the movie. It's directed by Malcolm D. Lee, and... What I really liked about this movie was um, it's definitely a rated R comedy, balls to the wall humor, like raunchy movie. But sure. for like, first of all, it was one of the first ones that I've seen that hasn't been centered around a wedding, which was super exciting. Um, it was centered around a girls' trip where the main character Regina Hall um, is going to be a keynote speaker at Essence Fest, and it's about her career and like she wants her girls there. Um, so I thought that that was a really interesting twist on it. Um, And also it was like a great opportunity to highlight women of color. Um, I think that this movie appeals to everyone and I was so impressed by it. And I hope that Tiffany Haddish just becomes a star. Um, Have you seen it yet? I have not, but literally I don't think I've heard like a bad thing about it. And I actually think I read somewhere that it's like the top grossing R-rated comedy since 2015. So it's just like breaking records left and right. So I'm definitely pumped to get out. Yeah, definitely go see it. Um, I'd recommend it. It's a good time. Go see it with your girlfriends. Um, So what is your low, Allison? Um, My low for this week is that Stephanie Meyer, who is the person behind the Twilight series, she has gotten a show called The Rook picked up for a series order from Stars and reading the bio of like what it's about it just seems like it's going to be another twilight 2.0 where she tries to pull in a bunch of different worlds and can't really keep it together it's about some girl who wakes up in a field of like dead bodies all in latex gloves and she's trying to figure out what 
happened to her and like how she ended up here. It's supposed to be like supernatural mixed with like a bunch of different things. So I just feel like it's just a hot mess waiting to happen. You know what? I I wonder how much involvement she actually has because if it's just that she's coming up with the idea and then someone else is going to take over to write it and direct it and cast it. You know what I mean? Like if it's literally just that she uh, put together like an outline that stars bought and is producing. I, it doesn't sound like a horrible idea, right? There are supernatural thrillers out there. Stars had um, a big hit this year with American gods and they've been doing great things with outlander. So I wouldn't be shocked if, it wasn't horrible. Um, that being said, if she has a lot of control over it, I totally agree with you. It's going to be garbage. She's just like not a great storyteller. And, um, I don't know. I don't have high expectations. I'll say that. Um, yeah, my expectations are set very low. I think if stars kind of has a heavy hand in it, it could be decent, but if she's running the show, it's going to be another shenanigan left and right. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll see. Um, so my low for this week, I'm calling Mustastrophe. And this is the whole debacle surrounding Henry Cavill's mustache. If you don't know, Henry Cavill played Superman in the new Man of Steel movie and in Batman vs. Superman. And he's also set to star in Mission Impossible, whatever number it is, seven, I guess, or six, with um, Tom Cruise. And for the Mission Impossible movie, he had to grow a mustache. And I guess in some contract, it was signed that he couldn't get rid of his mustache until after reshoots, but they had to bring him back in for Justice League reshoots, and I guess they're conflicting now. And so there's this whole thing about, do they have to CGI out his mustache? Is he going to shave? And to be honest, I haven't been following it too closely. It is my low because I do not care. I could so <laughs> care less about anything that has to do with the DC movies. And I really could care less about Henry Cavill's mustache. So I'm just so sick of hearing about these movies. The DC public uh, like publicists really need to get it together. Um, so I'm just I'm done with it. Have you been following this whole mustache gate? You know, I think I saw it pop up on Twitter a few times, but it wasn't enough of clickbait for me to kind of hit on it. But I think if they're trying to drum up interest in the movie, they could probably do way better than following the shenanigans of his mustache. I think there could probably be other decent selling points of this movie besides that. For sure. So next up is our section called Take It or Leave It. And this is where we run down a couple of stories in entertainment news and talk about whether we take it or want to get rid of it. Um, so first up, we have Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon are set to star in a TV series about TV morning shows, expected to be taken out to premium media outlets like HBO, Netflix, etc. for sale. Jay Carson, House of Cards, is attached to write the script and executive produce. Um, so, Allison, what do you think about this collaboration between Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon? You know, I don't follow super either of them super closely, but I know they are, like, heralding this, her great comeback to television, um, Jennifer Aniston's, and I know they've worked together on Friends before and have stayed close throughout, so I think it definitely could be turning into something pretty great as far as TV goes, so I'm excited to kind of see where it goes. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, after Big Little Lies, I'm not surprised that Reese Witherspoon would want to kind of stay in television. 
Um, she got a lot of acclaim for Big Little Lies, and she was also able to bring a lot of movie stars into that project. And so I think it's ambitious of her to bring uh, Jennifer Aniston back, but it kind of makes sense. And I also think with the television landscape the way it is now, they don't need to sign on for a six-year contract with a certain studio. Um, they can sign on for a miniseries or for a one season or maybe set up that they're going to be in the first season and then it's going to be an anthology th series. Um, so I think that it's actually not a big commitment for either of them. And in some cases, it's it's less time than doing a blockbuster movie. Um, so I think that I'm not surprised they're moving back to television. And I think we can continue to see this trend of big name stars going back to television. Sure, definitely. I wonder, too, because I know there's been rumors throughout of Big Little Lies getting a second season. So I wonder if her if Reese Witherspoon signing on for this project means that there's no chance of that happening. Interesting. I don't know. Um, I guess we'll see. Then again, I mean, people are in multiple television shows all the time now, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see her do both. Definitely. So our next item of news is Unreal Lifetime show about the making of a fake Bachelor has been renewed for season four before season three even airs. Season three has been delayed until 2018. So what do you think about this? Um, I should give some context. Allison and I were big fans of the first season of Unreal and went to a panel at Vulture Fest in 2016 um, for Unreal. And um, so what do you think about this? I think I would have been more eager to take it um, coming out of the first season. I think the second season really struggled and it, and it's kind of finding its footing and what it wanted to do. And so I think um, pretty presumptuous of Lifetime to kind of bring it in for a fourth season because I'm it's so much unclarity with the third season and what it's going to look like. So I feel like had this been going into the second season, I would have taken it immediately because I thought Unreal was great. But now I'm not sure what it's doing. Yeah, I was super disappointed in the second season. I thought it fell apart. I thought the um, storytelling was just sloppy. And I also thought the two white women running the show saying, like, we are going to tackle race <laughs> was ill-advised. Um, and so I'm interested to see what the third season is. It's their first season with The Bachelorette. Um, but I cannot believe that Lifetime put all their eggs in this basket, renewing it for a fourth season. I think they're kind of harping on the fact that it did do so well, but I think it really struggled in the second season, and I'm kind of feeling like it might as well, where they want to tackle the big issues. So I'm sure, just like with race last season, they'll probably do a lot of things with the feminist movement and things like that with the first female suitor. And I think it's going to be a lot of what they did last season, where they were willing to go there, but then couldn't commit to the follow-through, and it ended up just... So, like the story ended up unraveling on itself. So I think it's going to be pretty spotty moving forward. Yeah, I should add, this isn't one of our stories, but at the same time that they renewed Unreal, they renewed Mary Kills People for season two. Um, you and I also saw an episode of Mary Kills People at Vulture Fest, which is another Lifetime show. Um, what did you think about them picking that up for season two? Sure, so I had no bearing or understanding of Mary Kills People outside of Vulture Fest. So for me, because I jumped in on like the fifth episode of the season, um, I wasn't super committed to it, but I've, you've heard, or you've said nothing but great things about it. So I'm excited to see what they might be able to do with a little bit more episode room. Cause I think they only had six episodes in the first season. So 
having more space it might allow them to really delve into that character into their characters and the storylines they've kind of created in the first season I think it's a super interesting show. I mean, I wouldn't put it up there with some of the greatest shows on TV right now. But if you're interested in death or interested in assisted suicide, it's a super interesting show with a unique perspective. You and I got to see the creator talk at Vulture Fest, and she had such articulate things to say about death and about storytelling and about family. Um, and I think it's a it's doing some unique storytelling that's in a in a TV landscape where you see a lot of repetition, I thought it was, it definitely has its own voice. For sure. I just think too, it might even do better just on a network other than Lifetime, just because it probably isn't getting much airtime. So I think if it got in front of other viewers on another network, it might be doing better because it does have a pretty interesting spin on things that we don't see on TV very often. Yeah. All right, so now we're moving into our main topic for today, which is, as you said, Jane the Virgin. So, Allison, this was your recommendation. You wanted to do Jane the Virgin for our very first episode. So how about you tell us a little bit about it? Okay, so Jane the Virgin premiered on The CW on October 13, 2014. It was created and developed by Jenny Snyder Ehrman, and the cast includes Gina Rodriguez who plays Jane Villanueva. Uh, her mother, Zomara, is played by Andrea Nevedo. I'm sorry if I butcher anyone's names. Uh, Alba, her grandmother, is played by Yvonne Cole. Rafael Solano by Justin Baldoni. Uh, Petra, uh, Petra Solano is played by Yael, Yael Groblas. Uh, Michael Cordero is played by Brett Dyer. And Rogelio is played by Jaime Camille. Yes, um, so a couple things just to add in there. Jenny Snyder Ehrman was a consulting producer on Rain. She was the writer and executive producer of a short-lived CW show called Emily Owens, MD. And she's also been a part of many other shows, but this is one she definitely um, was at the helm of. And I should also say that Gina Rodriguez won a Golden Globe at the 72nd Annual Golden Globes for her performance as Jane, um, which was the first Golden Globe ever for the CW as a network, which is super interesting. For sure. Yeah. Um, so do you want to give us any background on the show? So, uh, Jane the Virgin is actually based on a, a Venezuelan telenovela, um, which in Spanish is Juana la Virgin. Uh, and so, like we said before, Gina Rodriguez won a Golden Globe as well. The show was also nominated uh, for a Golden Globe as well. What was pretty interesting is as they were trying to get the tone in the, of the show correct, they actually shot the, toilet, the pilot twice. Um, with Alba, who is played by Yvonne Cole, speaking Spanish and English because they were trying to get the dynamics between the Villanueva women correct. Um, and then they actually almost cut out one of, I think, one of the most pivotal scenes in the pilot, which is where Jane and Alba are having a conversation about what has happened to her, and she can't quite figure out how to explain it to her in Spanish, and it kind of creates this tension between the two of them and... Gina Rodriguez fought to keep it in because she felt like it really um, really highlights what a Latino family dynamic looks like. So that conversation of not being able to figure out how to say something in English versus Spanish um, for your relatives that may not speak English. That's super interesting. 
Um, so let's back up a second and have a little bit of a synopsis about the show. So the show and like its log line is a hardworking religious young Latina woman who finds herself artificially inseminated by accident. Um, so the pilot is obviously about her getting artificially inseminated. And so, Allison, I know you're a big fan of the show, so you watched the pilot a while ago. But what was it like revisiting the pilot? Um, what do you remember from the first time watching it? What are some things that stood out to you? Sure. So I actually watched the show on a recommendation from you um, while I was hosting. No. <laughs> That's shocking. <laughs> I would recommend someone a TV show. That's crazy. Okay, I- keep on going. <laughs> and I was actually uh, super skeptical. Just um, I totally got stopped by the title of the show. Um, but I think watching it that first time, what immediately drew me in is just that family dynamic between the three Vanueva women um, and just how that kind of works. And you can even see how strong it is really it is in the beginning of the series. I think watching it back now, I was able to pick up on so many like nuanced um things and uh, Easter eggs that they kind of dropped for things that happen later in the season. And so it's kind of cool to go back and see um, just how smart the writing is on the show between the narrator and they pop up speech bubbles on the screen, just how smart the conception and kind of the creative process of that show is. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, I recommended it to you. Um, one thing that initially stood out to me was it took me a couple times to get through the pilot um, I had read the reviews, and they said it was interesting and fresh, and I wanted to watch it, and I liked the idea of different representation on television, and I thought the idea was clever. Um, but the style, which we'll talk about when we get to the world-building aspect of the show a little bit, um, threw me off at first. And I, I think it took me three times to actually make it through the whole pilot the first time I watched it. Um, watching it back in, like, now that it's been some time, um, they are introducing elements of the style and of the show that they fine-tune throughout. Um, The narrator, for instance, the show has a narrator, which is super unique. Um, And in that first episode, they're really playing with those ideas. They're playing with the idea of time travel and flashbacks and storytelling and chapters and the narrator. Um, And uh, it gets better as it goes. So I'd say that if you're thinking about watching this show and you're a little bit thrown off, um, the writer's put they use them as tools and they fine-tune those as they go um so I thought what we would do is break down kind of different elements of the show um so Allison how well did you think that it set up the characters did you find them compelling and what did you think about the relationships that they set up sure so they definitely dive right in um Jane the Virgin you'll notice as you watch throughout they don't waste any time in an hour. They are constantly filling it. So I think what the most interesting part of their setting up of the characters, the one is just the introduction of the Villanueva women. It allows you to meet a lot of characters and gain a lot of information about them quickly because they don't waste any time. And so I think I didn't meet anybody in this episode that was like, I don't know why they're here. Everyone was placed with a point and with a reason. That's interesting. I definitely thought the same thing. Everyone who was introduced seemed to have some value added to the story. It didn't seem like there were side characters who were not integral to the storytelling. Part of it is that telenovela style, right? That everyone 
um, that everyone is related, that everything is dramatic, that everything's over the top. Um, so part of it, I feel like, is taken from that style. But I agree with you. Um, that being said, I was interested how everyone's relationship in the pilot revolves around Jane in a way that is refreshing, but also they lacked a little bit of depth at the beginning. They introduced all these threads, and I mean, obviously it's only the first episode, but everyone in the episode revolves around Jane so clearly, with the exception, I think, of actually Petra, Raphael's wife. Um, but I thought that it was a, a really interesting use of storytelling, um, and they also used all these other characters to tell you more about Jane, which I thought was the right choice, right? Like, if we're going to have the show about Jane, let's spend the pilot not only introducing these characters, but showing how they're going to impact Jane and her world. Sure, definitely. Yeah. So, speaking of the world, what did you think about the world and where it was set up, and did it seem like an interesting, real, dynamic place? Um, did it seem like the world had an effect on the characters? Sure. So, Jane the Virgin takes place in uh, Miami, Florida, and so... I think I've read a lot of uh, pieces on just kind of like how they've created the world. And I think one of the coolest things that kind of stood out to me was the way they kind of craft. So the Marbella, which is where Raphael and Petra and it's where Jane works. It's very like they wanted to create a distinction between like the affluent side of Miami and then the Villanueva house, which is a little bit more homey, brighter colors, warmer feel like that, that authentic Miami um, is supposed to be like the homier, less, uh, less money kind of area. So I think that was probably the most interesting part to me is that they used a lot of the world they were creating within, uh, scenes and sets to kind of set the tone for where you knew where you were in a scene based on what was around you. That's interesting. I didn't even, when I first watched that, I didn't pick up on that striking difference between the Marbella and kind of the more built-up Miami and also the Villanueva house. Um, one thing that stood out to me and about the world the show takes place in is that it is very much takes place in Miami and it's supposed to be a real place, but also these fantastical elements. Like the, the even the idea that she's artificially inseminated and like on accident. <laughs> artificial insemination is not the crazy thing. It's the accidental <laughs> part to it. Um, or the fact that um, people in telenovelas are speaking to her on the bus or the fact that like, all of these crazy coincidences. Um, it's this very fantastical world um, very positive, bright, shiny world that where hard things are happening. And I think that that's a beautiful place to live in the show. And they set that up from day one, that there are hard choices and hard decisions to make, but that doesn't mean that it's an unhappy, dark place. And I think one thing that I love so much about Jane the Virgin that has continued through all the seasons, even when things are hard, is that it is still bright, it is still light, it is still happy it is still about joy and laughter and love and it's shot that way the sets are built that way it's supposed to feel I think it's supposed to resonate hope in a way that a lot of shows don't sure. and I think we really take that for granted in television the positivity and that is seen from the first episode of this show um but not in a crazy outlandish way I don't know it makes sense it's weird it's this blending of the fantastic and the real 
And I think what makes Jane the Virgin kind of stand on its own, too, is that there's all these crazy teledevela elements happening, like, throughout, and, like, a ton of them all at once in one episode. And it's just the way that their circumstances do not define the characters. And so they're very grounded in these choices that they're making and these things that are happening to them. And it's not creating, even from characters outward, this negative idea. I think it's definitely positive inward out, I think, from the sets to the characters they try to create this world that while there's all these insane things happening, it doesn't make you an insane or a bad or crazy person for them happening. Definitely. So now moving on to potential plot threads and kind of things that it set up in the pilot, both that happened and also the threads that they left leading into future episodes. Um, I was so surprised how when I was taking notes how many things they set up. Kind of there was this main line that was Jane and her pregnancy, but there were a million other plots that they set up as potential threads to take the show. So rewatching it, what did you think about all of those potential plot threads and how do you think they managed juggling all of them? Sure. So definitely I agree with you. Watching it back, I didn't realize there's a good chunk of plot threads that actually run throughout the entire first season that are all introduced within this pilot, which is crazy. Um, I think they do just the right amount of kind of pushing them into a storyline to where you get interest in them without it like becoming the overbearing portion of the, without kind of take, I guess what I mean is like without taking away from Jane and the artificial insemination and that storyline, they've plugged in these subplot lines that I think keep you interested while also in their own ways, drive that main plot thread forward. That's an interesting point. Um, And a lot of them, one thing that I thought was super interesting, and I was saying earlier how everyone revolved around Jane, and I think that a lot of the plot threads did revolve around Jane, but there were definitely things that were um, introduced that supported those and were kind of... um, They happened because of Jane, but they were not directly related to her. Things like... Um, Petra and Raphael's relationship, I think, was there's some definite threads happening there. Uh, Petra cheating on Raphael and um, the love triangle of Michael and Jane and Raphael is set up in the first episode. Um, also, uh, what's ha- what's going to happen with Jane and her father and more interesting, I think, Jane's father and Ziomara. Um, what's going to happen there? So there were a lot of things that were set up that were triggered by this um, this pregnancy reveal, but we're also not directly related to it. Sure, sure, definitely. And what did you think were some of the most interesting plot threads to come out of this episode? Rewatching it, and obviously you know what happens, um, but do you remember first watching it or even rewatching it, what things stood out to you as, I can't believe they set this up in the first episode? I think rewatching it back and knowing what happened, I think probably the most, like, surprising to me is just, like, how much of it they set up. Like, I don't think they kind of left anything to the wayside, but I think kind of just that springboard of the Raphael Petra um, situation and kind of how that all starts to become unraveling as Jane finds out that she's pregnant and that Raphael is the father, I think I didn't realize how much of that was tethered to the pilot and how much that kind of springboards Jane and Raphael's relationship and that strain that it puts on hers and Michael's and all of that stuff. I think 
there was much more of a much more of a presence of it that I didn't pick up on before. Definitely. Um, one thing that stood out to me from the first episode was how clearly they set up the Via Nueva women to be a unit and how it was very clear that they were a family that loved each other and cared about each other so much, but there was a there was definitely a friction there and there were definitely problems and they definitely had discussions and didn't agree on everything. And even their conversations about how to have the baby, they were so real and so emotional from that first episode and setting up things to come. There were a lot of threads laid in that those, um, where did all those feelings come from? How are they going to feel when the baby comes? There were a lot of things just within that dynamic of women, those three generations that I thought was super unique. Um, and I think about something that was another, I guess, mother-daughter staple of our television childhood, Gilmore Girls, and how long that took to kind of build that relationship. And I think that um, Jenny and this television show had put together a unit of women so quickly and so realistically, um, and it was really impressive. I think a lot of that stands too, just like the, the authenticity of Jenny Orman's writing. I mean, she talks about this a ton in interviews and just how quickly she wanted that authentic family feel, especially between three generations of women in the Latina culture and just kind of how that looks like and how much even the women that play them like fight for that togetherness. And I feel like it's probably one of the most authentic um, representations of family, especially between three generations of women that we've seen on TV in a really long time and also we touched on this at the beginning when you were talking about interesting facts about the making of the pilot but the fact that a lot of this pilot is in spanish we don't think about this now because the show has been so successful but was a really almost controversial thing to put this much spanish in this show um and i think it added to the authenticity of it and showed represented different family experiences and what it's like to live in a bilingual home. And I don't live in a bilingual home. So, but from what I've heard from my friends who do and from reception online, it seems like people have taken it as a really realistic portrayal of a different family situation. Um, that a lot of, a lot of people all over the world live in bilingual homes and like seeing what that's really like in day-to-day life. For sure. And I know there's been a ton of stuff that's just come out about how Jane the Virgin has taken something that you didn't really necessarily knew that you like cared about to like this idea of like a family and the bilingual. And like now it's such an integral lead into the show that you don't think twice about it. And so it's like taking something you never thought you would really care about and then really bleeding it into a show, which is cool with things that happen like later on in other seasons of the show as well. Definitely. So the last thing I wanted to ask was, and I, again, I know you've already watched it before, but how likely did you were you to immediately watch the next episode? Was it something that you had to watch right away? Was it something that you were like, oh, I'll get back to this? Or did you take a break from it? How likely were you to just dive into that next episode? So I think Jane the Virgin may have been one of the first shows that I truly binged. I watched 10 episodes that first day. I was positing. I didn't have anything else going on, but literally it, because I think it hits the ground running and it lays all these, um, all these groundworks for things that are to come in the season. I was just like, I need to know. And then you'd watch the next episode and you'd be like, okay, but now this has kind of been tethered and tied and I need to figure out how this pulls in. And so I watched 10 episodes the first day, so... Oh, my I'm God. quite likely to binge watch. 
I did not do the 10 episodes the next day, but I remember being pretty immediately invested in the show. And even last night, because of the way that the storytelling is done with that interesting narrative structure, and at the end of every episode, there's that title card that says to be continued. Um, even when I was rewatching it to get ready for the uh, recording of this, I immediately just put on the next episode because it so sure. naturally flows um, as a unit, as a whole story. And I would say that that's something that's so great about Jane the Virgin is the cohesiveness and how it takes these, um, they're almost literary tools that it's using, this foreshadowing and this um, narrator and just the way that the story is being told. And it really makes it for an interesting either binge-watching experience, I think, or just a gradual-watching experience. I know. I definitely feel like I have different experiences from watching the first season and now watching in real time. I feel like because you were able to pull so much of the story together, binge-watching it definitely feels different than watching it solo because of all of the just literary examples they use and kind of utilize. Yeah. So if people want to watch Jane the Virgin, where can they find it? Sure. Uh, so you can watch Jane the Virgin on demand. The most recent season, um, the first three seasons are all on Netflix as well as long or along with the CW app, The Seed. So it's out there for binging shenanigans and fun. And lastly, how would you rank this pilot on a scale from one to ten? One being I'll never watch this show again, and ten being it's basically one of the best movies I've ever seen. Oh. Well, I'm I'm usually generally too kind, but I want to say I'd give it a solid eight. Eight? Yes. Yeah. I'm close. I'm going to give it a, a seven. A seven, I think. It is, I think it it's stylistically different, um, and there are some nitpicky things that I have problems with, but overall it is a above average pilot and definitely springboards into a well above average television show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think it just, it's something so different that you haven't seen on television from kind of the way it's crafted to the dynamics that you see between relationships. I think it has a ton going for it. Again, there's always going to be nitpicky things that bother you throughout, but I think it it's a strong start to a really critically acclaimed and strong series. Well, thank you, Allison, for coming on and recommending such a good show for our first pilot. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, and tune in next week for another episode of Screenmates 2.0. And thanks. <laughs>